Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In November of 2019, the Australian bush was on fire. Sydney, also known as Big Smoke, was earning its name. A woman who would only give her first name, Tony, watched from her car as a badly burned koala crossed the wooded road and headed up a hillside back into the flames. He'll need rescuing, won't he, she asks. You hear her voice as her husband films her running into the inferno, peeling off her t-shirt and dropping it over the wounded koala. Careful, his claws, he says, but her whole attention is on the wounded animal, holding him like a baby. She douses him with water from her water bottle. She bundles him into the car, and they bring him to the koala hospital in Port Macquarie. His cries bring tears to my eyes as I watch the film over and over. This is empathy, the ability to take the perspective of another living thing, the curiosity and willingness to find out what makes another being sad or glad, what they love, and what breaks their heart. Empathy improves the quality of our lives, extends the boundaries of our moral universe, and is a radical force for social transformation. And animals are some of our very best teachers. Cardiologist Barbara Natterson Horowitz agreed to consult on animal cardiac cases at the Los Angeles Zoo. In the course of her time there, she learned that veterinarians had discovered treatments for their animal patients that could be useful to humans if physicians were willing to learn from vets. What do you call a veterinarian who can take care of only one species, she asks? A physician. We accept intellectually that Homo sapiens is merely one species she considers, but she continues, but no more unique or special than any other, but in our hearts, we don't completely believe that. We feel that tug of human exceptionalism as if we feel the scientifically isolating cost of seeing ourselves as a superior species. Human exceptionalism is rooted in the idea that there's some bright line that separates us from other animals. We know where it came from. It's right there in the first two creation stories told in Genesis, the one where God says to Adam and Eve, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 
And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It's no surprise that human beings wrote the story that way, imagining ourselves created in the image of God and commanded to dominate everything. We know where it came from, and we know where it leads. Oh, the mess we're in, such a terrible mess that it's too late for thousands of species. And we know, not everyone knows, but we know that we cannot destroy the earth, the air, the water, the creatures without destroying ourselves. This is the seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism. We believe in the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Kenyan environmental activist and Nobel Peace Prize winner Wangari Maathai says, today we are faced with a challenge that calls for a shift in our thinking so that humanity stops threatening its life support system. We are called to assist the earth to heal the wounds we have inflicted and in the process, heal our own. Indeed, to embrace the whole of creation in all its diversity, beauty, and wonder. We are called not to dominion, but to action, starting with empathy. Sometimes when the world feels like too much, when we can't watch another moment of the news, or worse, when we're watching the news and find ourselves feeling nothing, Sometimes we need an animal rescue video. I'm serious. When sleep eludes me, it's prayer and animal rescue videos. I open Kem's social media account and start scrolling in easy reach of the thing I know will reconnect me to my heart. This is how I became obsessed with Harris. On March 16, 2019, a starving, injured dog was found on I-270 in St. Louis, Missouri. He was wrapped in a blanket and left for dead. A good Samaritan brought him to Stray Rescue, where they administered pain meds, fluids, and antibiotics, treated his wounds, made him as comfortable as possible, and named him Harris. A Stray Rescue staff member slept beside him, holding his paw. All of this possibly the first kindness he had ever known. And all of us who had plugged into the story willed him to survive. For four days, he was unresponsive. And then on the fifth day, he opened his eyes and looked around. Hashtag miracles happen began to trend. On March 22nd, Stray Rescue posted an Amazon wish list for Harris headed by bandages. On March 25th, Harris drank and ate on his own for the first time. Stray Rescue posted a heart-melting photo of him licking his lips and of a garage full of boxes that had arrived from Amazon with donations to help nurse this boy to life. On March 27th, Harris came down with pneumonia. Despite the utter gravity of the moment, this was when it became clear 
that Harris wasn't giving up. On April 9th, he sat up on his own. On April 11th, he walked. And for the very first time, he wagged his tail. On the 25th, he barked. His wounds healed, his pneumonia resolved, and on May 1st, I found myself watching a video that concludes with a still impossibly skinny dog loping in the grass with a gimpy stride, making the rounds of his caregivers victorious. I still watch that video, and I can feel everything. Horror, terror, anger, faith, devotion. I also like the video of the British newscaster trying to keep a straight face while he reports that five African gray parrots donated to the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park by separate families but quarantined together taught each other curse words and once out in the parrot house went at it with gusto. We are quite used to parrots swearing, but we've never had five at the same time. And for some reason, these five relish it, said zoo CEO Steve Nichols. It amuses people very highly. It brought a smile to a really hard year. You know, when a parrot tells you to F off. For the sake of the children, the five have been separated until they can behave. Many parrots, however, said the parents Many parents, however, said the parrots alone were worth the price of admission. Hashtag, bring back the parrots. But I digress. Let's talk some more about empathy. Not pity, not sympathy, but the capacity to take another's part, to understand their feelings, and to use that understanding to guide our actions. It's not the golden rule as we know it. Anglo-Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw explained it, do not do unto others as you would do unto them. They might have different tastes. Science used to view us humans as essentially self-interested. They've radically shifted that view, though. Now, essentially self-interested people are considered narcissistic, narcissism being a classified personality disorder. Instead, Evolutionary biologist Franz de Waal has proven that we're social animals who have evolved to care for each other, just like our primate cousins. We're wired for social cooperation and mutual aid. We are, they say, homo empaticus. And we can nurture the growth of empathy throughout our lives, making it a spiritual practice, an attitude in our daily life, and improve everyone's life in the process. Empathy is marked by several characteristics. The first would be curious, curiosity about others. Curiosity, which happiness guru Martin Seligman names as a key character strength. In particular, curiosity expands our empathy when we talk to people outside our social circle, encountering lives different from our own. I think of my grandfather, Charlie, of blessed memory, in the years following his retirement from teaching English at East Boston High School, many fine mornings he walked across the Pleasant Bridge Street in Arlington and caught an eastbound bus into the city. He'd sit in, fr in the front seat opposite the bus driver. He knew every driver on that route and greet each customer as they boarded the bus. 
He was interested in everyone, no exceptions. Oh, and he wasn't going anywhere. He just liked to ride and visit. He was a great talker and a great listener. Following the directive of oral historian Studs Terkel, don't be an examiner, be an interested inquirer. Charlie liked talking about the weather as much as any New Englander, but he often went surprisingly deeper. I met at least a dozen of his fellow passengers at his memorial service, strangers to me, but friends to him. Another characteristic is empathy is the search for common ground. If we never get past woman wearing a huge backpack and a headscarf who skateboards past the house every morning, or ex-military looking guy who delivers the mail, we miss their individuality and we miss what we have in common. I've told you one of my favorite stories about this and it's worth repeating. Claiborne Paul Ellis was born into a poor white family in Durham, North Carolina in 1927. Working in a garage, finding it hard to make ends meet, he believed his father when he told him that African Americans were the cause of all his troubles. And following in his father's footsteps, he joined the Ku Klux Klan, eventually rising to the number one position, exalted Cyclops, in his local KKK branch. In 1971, he was invited as a prominent citizen to a 10-day community meeting to address racial tensions in schools and was chosen to lead a steering committee with Ann Atwater, an African-American activist. He did not do it gracefully, to say the least. Later, he said, here we are, two people from the far end of the fence having identical problems except her being black and me being white. The amazing thing about it, up to that point, we had cussed each other, we hated each other. Up to that point, we didn't know each other. We didn't know we had things in common. But working with Anne, when Claiborne saw that she shared some of the challenges of poverty as his own, his prejudices were exploded. He said, I was beginning to look at a black person, shake hands with him, and see him as a human being. It was almost like being born again. On the final night of the community meeting, he stood up in front of a thousand people and tore up his Klan membership card. Claiborne Paul Ellis went on to become a labor organizer for a union whose membership was 70% African American. He and Ann Atwater remained friends for the rest of his life. A third characteristic of empathy is deep listening with an open heart. Psychologist Marshall Rosenberg, founder of Nonviolent Communication, says, what is essential is our ability to be present to what's really going on within, to the unique feelings and needs a person is experiencing in that very moment. I don't think it really even matters that we understand. It's enough to bear witness. I remember hearing American psychologist and spiritual teacher Ram Das tell it was both a hilarious and deeply touching story about meditating on a mountaintop, high as a kite, when some guy came up to him and just started unloading a terribly complicated story involving a love interest or maybe his ex and her mother and who knows who else, lots of characters and plot twists and lots of raw emotion. The guy was a mess. 
Ram Dass got up from where he was sitting and started down the mountain with this poor fellow in tow, feeling very much at a loss as to what had happened to whom, let alone what the gentleman's name was. At one point, though, the guy said, and then she left me. Ram Dass seized the moment. Oh, I've been there, man. I know what you're going through. Mostly, though, the guy talked and talked with Ram Dass occasionally saying helpful things like, oh, and wow. When they got to the parking lot, it could have gotten really awkward. But instead, the guy stopped and said, you can't imagine what it means to me to be able to tell you this story. You've really given me courage. I know I can make it now. Thank you. And Ram Dass said, take care of yourself. Everything's going to be all right. Deep listening with an open heart, bearing witness, and making ourselves vulnerable, too, can be profoundly healing whether or not we lose the plot. Empathy is curiosity, the search for common ground, deep listening, and the spark that ignites social change. In a typical canvassing conversation, a person knocks on the door and spews statistics and facts to convince you of something, maybe to vote on a ballot measure or donate to a cause. Those interactions tend to be annoying and forgettable. But Dave Fleischer of the Los Angeles LGBT Center hit on a different method. His idea was for canvassers to let the people do most of the talking, to gently lead them to a view of our common humanity, and to encourage them to come to their own conclusions about what's right and wrong. For example, to opening the door to reducing prejudice. In one video shot in Miami, a young genderqueer canvasser named Virginia, tattooed up to the neck, arrives at the door of a Latino gentleman named Gustavo, who is dressed in a sleeveless undershirt tucked into khaki pants. Virginia opens by asking Gustavo how he'd like to support transgender rights legislation. Gustavo says he wouldn't support it because he's worried about predatory men using the law as an opportunity to enter women's restrooms. Virginia keeps their cool and asks him why he feels that way. I'm from South America, he tells them, and in South America, we don't like X, and here he uses a slur that I won't repeat. Again, instead of flipping out on him, Virginia says in a very friendly, open way, I'm gay. Gustavo doesn't recoil. Actually, he becomes interested. They go on to discuss how much they love their partners and how that love helps them overcome adversity. Gustavo tells Virginia that his wife is disabled. God gave me the ability to love a disabled person, he tells them. Taking care of one another is why love matters. That resonates a lot with me, says Virginia. For me, these laws and including trans transgender people are about how we treat each other. Virginia asked Gustavo to imagine what the worst thing is that could happen if he used a restroom with a transgender person. He admits he wouldn't be scared. And then the breakthrough happens. Listen, he says, changing his original position on trans rights. 
Probably I was mistaken. Their conversation ends warmly. Virginia asks him again if he'd vote in favor of banning transgender discrimination. In favor, he says. David Brookman and Joshua Kala are the authors of Durably Reducing Transphobia, a Field Experiment on Door-to-Door -door Canvassing. This study was the first large-scale, real-world experiment proving that lasting opinion change is possible, specifically that a 10-minute conversation with an empathic pro-transgender canvasser can change a person's mind. The story of the study is a good one. I commend it to you. Especially if you need cheering up, have a look. And let's be like Virginia. Open our hearts, engage in the conversation, find our empathy, and hang in there. The world changes one soul at a time. Beloved spiritual companions, I leave you with the shirtless Tony, koala in arms. Harris the dog, back from the dead, the five pirate parrots, with my grandfather Charlie riding the bus with the life-changing friendship of Claiborne, Paul Ellis, and Ann Atwater, with Ram Dass descending the mountain, and at the doorway of so much possibility, with Virginia and Gustavo. Empathy is curiosity. The search for common ground, deep listening, and the spark that ignites social change. Let's be that change. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from Richard Colligan. All of us belong, each and every one. All of us belong in this sacred circle. We have wings and paws and tails and toes and instincts and souls. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.